Right, so uh, just a couple of verses tonight, but uh, this verse, this passage actually is launching into a new, a new section, um, and as we have uh, uh, studied through Ecclesiastes, we've seen, uh, it seems like the, uh, the preacher revisits the same topics over and over, maybe from a different perspective and drawing uh, slightly different conclusions, and so... Uh, uh, this section begins, uh, or chapter 5, verse 8, begins a new section uh, with a familiar theme. The preacher in Ecclesiastes had repeatedly warned us against striving to obtain wealth. Uh, he said that chasing after uh, satisfaction through wealth and through material possessions is empty and meaningless, fruitless. It is vanity. To try to try to find satisfaction in, in acquiring wealth is like chasing after the wind. You never catch it. You might be making eighty million dollars at Notre Dame, and LSU offers you a hundred million dollars, and you chase the wind. Right? <laughs> um, none of us have that problem. But uh, <laughs> talking about uh, uh, before before we started talking about those uh, those football coaches on the coaching carousel chasing after. Uh, Chasing after wealth and success. Um, so the preacher has counseled us not to pursue wealth, not to store up, not pursue wealth to store up, but to enjoy God's good and gracious gifts for today. Enjoy God's provision of our daily bread. Enjoy your work and enjoy God's good gifts. And in this particular sec section, he's going to begin... He, Really the same point, but he's going to begin uh, by speaking of those who seek to acquire wealth by oppressing others. And so in Ecclesiastes 5.8, he says, If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. For high official washes over high official, and higher officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Even the king is served from the field. And so this passage speaks about injustice, violent perversion of justice, the snatching away of justice. Uh, and, and so not just uh, uh, exploiting the poor, but actually violently oppressing them, uh, twisting away justice, the snatching away of justice and righteousness and you know, we talked about justice in the courts back in, uh, in chapter 3. We talked about the place where there's supposed to be justice, and so we, we talked about that. We talked about Lady Justice back in chapter 3. And then today, this text, the preacher focuses on injustice that comes from ruling officials, from the executive branch. Uh, in chapter 3, we talked about the judicial branch, uh, the perversion of justice there. And today we talk about the perversion of justice in the executive branch from the king, the royal officials, the governor, uh, those that are in charge of our government. And the preacher uh, tells us not to be surprised when we see the twisting of justice and righteousness at the hands of of governors and the ruling officials and uh and, and again this is this is a, the beginning of a section that's going to go all the way through the middle of chapter six but i thought it was important for us to focus in on this idea of injustice and oppression 
uh, it's a very important discussion where we live and in our time because all of the talk about injustice in our society, about systemic oppression, the abuse of governmental authority, uh, topics of discussion that are very contemporary and very much around what's going on and uh, uh, you know, the talk of those, how those in power, those use their power to take advantage of those who have none. Um, and so the, the preacher tells us, when you see that, don't be surprised. <laughs> when you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. Uh, and, uh, and so he says, if you see oppression of the poor, don't be surprised. Uh, and he does not say, if you see the oppression of the poor, do something about it. He simply here says, don't be surprised. And so why should we not be surprised when we see oppression of the poor and violent perversion of justice and righteousness? Yeah. Yeah, Satan is the ruler of this world, of this present age, and every single government official is a sinner. And so he speaks of this layer of bureaucracy. There's a high official that watches over high officials and higher officials over them. And so the preacher has painted this picture of the bureaucracy. And at every level of the bureaucracy, every single person at every layer of that bureaucracy is a sinful person um, and has uh, sinful attitudes and sinful disposition. And so they are all sinful. Uh, a wise man once said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the government is made up of humans that are entrusted with power. And there's a bureaucracy that is made up of layers of high officials, as he, uh, as he describes. And they, uh, they should watch out uh, for each other to provide accountability and responsibility. You know, our founding fathers uh, knew of the, the, the biblical worldview, the Judeo-Christian uh, worldview, where every single person is sinful and the concentration of the hands of power in one sinful human leads inevitably to tyranny. Same thing the preacher here in Ecclesiastes says. And so our founding fathers developed a system of checks and balances uh, where one layer of officials, you have the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch, and they are to balance each other's power. They developed a system where power would not be concentrated in the hands of too few of a people. Uh, but uh, when one of those branches fails to do its part, uh, the other branches quick to usurp that authority and uh, and so the, even the system of checks and balances doesn't prevent oppression and instead of the royal officials watching out over each other and holding each other accountable and responsible they end up cooperating with each other to pool their power in order to exploit uh, and oppress the poor and so uh, the preacher says when you see that don't be surprised because we're living in enemy territory we're living in a world that is ruled by satan and we are ruled by people and even no matter how good they are no matter how wise they are and even those who've been converted they're ultimately still sinful people and uh and uh, uh given to do sinful things 
And so even with the system of accountability, with royal officials watching out over high officials, um, the power corrupts. And the high and mighty can come to a point where they watch out for themselves and they watch out for each other so that the poor, those with no resources, those with no power, have no chance. The high officials can become concerned with lining their own, par- their own pockets, no concern for the poor, and instead they use the poor and take advantage of the poor to get their hands on whatever, um, whatever they can, even if that means oppression and injustice. And so the preacher says, don't be surprised when you see oppression and injustice. It is a result of sinful human nature, greed and arrogance and corruption. Well, if you came to be encouraged, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's pretty pretty discouraging, isn't it? Don't be surprised when you see uh, uh, the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a providence. Do not be surprised. Expect it. Oppression and injustice are the common state of human society in a fallen world. And so the preacher tells us that. And, uh, uh, but, but then he says something very interesting in verse 9. Even that, even the greed and the selfishness and the arrogance of the ruling officials can be worked for good. Verse 9, moreover, the profit of the land is for all. And even the king is served from the field. And so uh, uh, actually the arrogance and the greed of the king can, in a way, help everybody. Um, In Isaiah chapter 5, the prophet pronounces a series of woes. In Isaiah uh, 5, 8 through 10, he says, Woe to those who join house to house. They add field to field till there's no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, the Lord of hosts said, Truly many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones without inhabitant. For ten acres of a vineyard shall yield one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield one ephah. And so, uh, so Isaiah pronounces woe against these landowners who go and try to acquire as much land as they possibly can for themselves. Now you remember the land of Israel was divided among the tribes by lot. And, and divided among the clans and, the, and the, uh, the families of the tribes. And so and the land was to stay inside of the family. Uh, and when, when uh, you know, a man passed away, his land passed to his son and it stayed within the tribe. And even within, uh, uh, if it got to the point where your land wasn't producing and you couldn't pay your bills and you had to sell yourself or sell your land or sell yourself into, into servitude in order to... Uh, to stay alive, uh, what was to happen every 50 years? Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. And so that land was to come back to the original owner, to the original tribe, so that no one person would acquire a great amount of land because uh, actually if one person owned a lot of land, the land would not produce as much as if it had many owners working a part of the land to provide for themselves. And so, uh, you, you know, if you had a lot of small business owners uh, producing and working hard, then actually there would be more productivity than having one massive landowner trying to manage a big force. And so that's what uh, Isaiah says. And not only that, uh, by 
acquiring the land and taking it from the ones that had the original inheritance, not restoring it at the land of Jubilee, they would be in violation of God's covenant. And so God said that the land's not going to be productive if you do it that way. If you're adding house to house and field to field, the land's not going to produce near as much as it would. And, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and I had to look up the terms of bath. He says, uh, 10 acres of vineyard shall yield one bath. And bath, a bath is about four and a half gallons. And so four and a half gallons of wine would be a very small amount to come from 10 acres of vineyards, I would, I would suspect. I don't know much about the wine business, but I would think that four and a half gallons from 10 acres is not a very good result. <laughs> and so uh, 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 a very small quantity. And a homer of seed would only yield an epa. Well, a homer is actually 10 epas. And so you would, uh, you're going to end up sowing 10 times as much seed as you harvest. You will sow more than you reap, 10 times more than you reap. And so uh, uh, God says in Isaiah that if you try to acquire house to house and field to field, if one owner owns it all, it's not going to be as productive as it would be if you had lots of people owning smaller amounts and taking individual responsibility to work their portion of the land. And so uh, I think that's what the preacher is saying. And, and, but he's also saying now the, uh, you know, so, so when the rich people buy up land as an investment, land doesn't produce as much as it could. Um, and, uh, and, and if the land's not producing as much as it could, then there's nothing left over for the poor. So you remember the, uh, the, the Israeli welfare system. Part of that was this system of gleaning the uh, the people of the land, landowners were commanded not to reap the corners of the field. They were also commanded not to gather the gleanings of their harvest when the harvesters dropped as they were reaping. They weren't to go and pick up what had been dropped. Uh, they were to leave it for the poor to come along behind and pick up what was left so that they could provide for themselves and their families. And so the poor people weren't just to sit at home and wait for a check to come. They were to go out into the fields and glean and to work and, and take, in, again, individual responsibility, individual accountability uh, in order to provide for themselves and their family. But if the land's not producing, there's not enough left over for the poor. And so there's this oppression. And, uh, and so, uh, so when, when people add land to land, field to field, the harvest is not as good as it should be. They violated the covenant. They can't expect God's covenant blessings. And uh, just simply not as many people taking individual responsibility in order to produce and provide. Well, wh well what about the king? Why would the king want a large harvest? Exactly. So a king, he, he makes his money through collecting taxes. And so the more that you grow, the more you produce, the more income that you make, the more that the king makes. So the king actually wants you to do well because of his greed and his arrogance. He wants more money. And so when you do well, he does well. And so, uh, so the king has his own interest because he gets his share through taxation. So the larger the harvest, the larger his share. And so uh, because of the king's greed, <laughs> uh, the, the king wants more. And so he can make a system. Uh, where, uh, you know, he served from the field, and so he has uh, a motivation to, uh, 
to prevent the rich from adding field to field to ensure the proper use of the land, trying to get more for himself. But as he tries to get more for himself and he creates an environment where people can work and produce, then he actually gets more for himself. Uh, even the king is served from the field. And so as he uh, works to ensure the proper use of the land to grow food that provides not only for the landowner, but for the poor and for the king. And so, uh, so the, the, the king actually... Uh, uh, you know, God can use even the greed of the king to create an environment where uh, people can be provided for. And so, uh, but, but all in all, the greed for riches will prevent justice for the poor. And greed is a part of the sinful human nature. So don't be amazed when you see the oppression of the poor and the perversion of justice and righteousness. But also, don't be amazed when God overrules evil and works it for good. God can use even the greed of the king in order to provide more for everybody. I think it's what the preacher is saying. And so the preacher goes on to say that those who secure wealth by oppressing the poor and perverting justice and righteous, righteousness will never find satisfaction, but they will reap disaster. And we'll look at that conclusion in the coming weeks, Lord willing, as we continue through Ecclesiastes. But today, I felt like it was important for us to focus on this idea of justice uh, because it is such a, uh, an important item of conversation and even debate in our, in our culture and in our time. And so, uh, so we have to understand uh, biblical justice. Um, you know, the word justice occurs 135 times in the Bible. It occurs 124 times in the Old Testament and 11 times in the New Testament. And so uh, some of the summary statements about justice, God is just, God will do justice. God loves justice and hates injustice. And God hates it when justice is perverted. Uh, number two, justice has both positive and negative connotations. You know, justice provides punishment for those who do evil, those who do wicked, and justice provides reward and quietness and peaceableness for those who do good. Uh, number three, there is no justice apart from truth and righteousness. And God is the ultimate lawgiver, and his laws are right and just. And God's laws are to be executed without partiality. And so the definition of biblical justice is the equitable an impartial application of the moral, righteous law of God. Justice is the equitable, impartial application of the moral law of God. That is the biblical definition of justice. And then sixth, God has ordained domains of authority to be mediators of his justice um, and so God is the creator and as creator he is the lawgiver and so God defines what justice is and so it's very important that we carefully define the word justice it's very important that we define our terms and so justice is the impartial equitable application of the moral law of God um, we've got to define our terms because today the term justice is combined with a lot of other terms, most commonly social justice. And those that use the term social justice 
usually seek to expand the role of civil government to redistribute wealth to ensure not just equal opportunity, but equal outcome. So here God, God speaks of equal opportunity, but not necessarily equal outcome. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, you're always going to have the poor with you. There's not going to be equal outcome because as we divided up this land, well, guess what? Some of that land in, in Egypt, some of it is better for growing crops than others. You know, some land is rich and fertile and you can grow crops. Other land is kind of rocky and uh, mountainous and you got to have sheep and other land might not be good for growing. Things. You know, so there's not, there's not ever going to be equal outcome. But there should be equal opportunity when an individual takes personal responsibility. And so, uh, uh, but those today who advocate social justice are usually wanting equal outcome and not just equal opportunity. And they want the expansion of civil government to ensure that there is equal outcome. But in doing that, by increasing the power of civil government, civil authority, they actually advocate infringing on other realms of authority and responsibility that God has ordained. Notably, the family and the church, or individual responsibility, the family and the church. And so God has ordained four realms of authority. First, individual. Second, in the family. Third, in the church or the people of God in Ecclesiastes. And then ultimately, the state. And so God is creator. God has all power. God has all authority. But God, and God has defined justice by giving the law. And justice is the right application, impartial application of the law of God. Not necessarily equal outcome, but a right application of God's law. And God has ordained authority, human authority, in order to be the mediators of his justice, the bringing of his justice. Um, and, and so the, God has delegated authority so that all authority is not held in the hand of any one person because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the state, civil authority has a realm of authority. So does the, the church, so does the family, and ultimately it all begins with individual responsibility. And so individual responsibility, the first realm of authority is individual. Individual responsibility, uh, biblical justice seeks to promote individual liberty and personal responsibility. Um, because of the, but because of the sinful nature that corrupts every single person, God has ordained uh, domains of authority so that people, sinful people can live together without devouring each other. Um, and so God has distributed power. And the first emphasis is individual responsibility. So in the scripture, we are commanded to work with our hands to provide for ourselves and our families. Adam, even before the fall, Adam had a responsibility to tend and to keep the garden, to be a provider, to work with his hands. And then when sin entered, that work became drudgery. But we are still commanded to work with our hands to provide for ourselves and our families. 
We're told in the New Testament that whoever does not provide for his own, and especially those in his own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Not only that, we're commanded to work with our hands so that we would have a surplus. In Ephesians, they tell us the, the thief should stop stealing, should not steal anymore, but he should not just stop stealing. He should work with his hands so that he has a surplus so that he can also be a giver. And so the emphasis is on individual accountability, individually, individual responsibility. And as we talked about the welfare system in ancient Israel, the glean system required the needy to go and pick up what had been left behind by the harvesters. And so biblical justice begins with individual responsibility and individual accountability and individual purposing to live under and to apply the moral law of God first and foremost to himself. And so biblical justice begins with individual accountability, individual responsibility. We are commanded to work with our hands and to provide for our family. And uh, also, individual responsibility, we are commanded to treat every single person how? How are we to treat others? As we, we want to be ourselves to be treated. We're to love others as we love ourselves. We're to do unto others as we would want them to do unto us. And so the moral law of God, love your neighbor as you love yourself, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so uh, uh, we're, we're commanded to order our lives according to God's moral law and treat other people right and apply God's moral law to our relationships with other people. We are not to murder them. We are not to engage in sexual immorality. We are not to steal. We are not to tell lies and pervert justice. And God's law not only governs our hands, our actions, but God's law also governs our heart. Not only are we not to steal or, uh, from our neighbor or commit adultery with his wife, we're not even supposed to want his, what he has. We're not to covet his possessions. We're not to covet his house or his land or his wife. We are uh, uh, not to desire what rightfully belongs to our neighbor. Not only are we not to steal, we're not even to, to desire it, to want it, to set our affections on it. And so biblical justice begins with the proper application of God's law individually and uh, accountably. And, uh, and so, uh, so God's moral law not only governs what we do, but what we desire. Well, not only does it uh, tell us what not to do, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness, don't steal. It also tells us what we are to do, <laughs> and we are to... Uh, to love our neighbor as our love ourselves. You know, we pray for God to provide for our needs, and we ought to seek to provide for the needs of the others. Uh, we, we should work to provide food for ourselves, work with our hands, but also so that we have a surplus, so that we can give food to the hungry. We can give a cold drink to those that are thirsty. Uh, we can uh, take in the stranger. We can clothe the naked, visit the sick and the imprisoned. And James tells us that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit widows and orphans in their distress, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And so biblical justice begins with individual responsibility, individual accountability, as we seek to order our lives according to the moral law of God. And that, that governs what we don't do, it governs our desires and our affections, and it governs what we are to do. And so we're not just to not do evil to our neighbor we are to actively seek to do good to our neighbor and we're to work with our hands so that we have enough to be a giver
And so biblical justice begins with the individual and ordering his life according to God's law. And so the first realm of authority that God gives is personal. The second realm of authority is the family, family responsibility. I've already mentioned the requirement in 1 Timothy 5.8 to provide for the members of your own household. We're to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord when they're too young and too, and too little and too immature to provide for themselves. We raise our children in the nurture of the Lord. We are their protector, their provider, their discipler. And so we, we have responsibility for our children. As parents, as fathers, we have a family responsibility to discipline and nurture and to provide and to protect our children. And then when our parents, you know, so we take care of our kids while they're too little to provide for themselves. But what about when our parents become too old to provide for themselves? We're to honor our parents. And Paul says, if you don't provide for the members of your own household, you are worse than an infidel. You have denied the faith. And the context of that is the provision of widows. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, that the context, honor widows who are really widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. And so what does it mean for an adult child to honor his mother and father? To provide for them, to apply God's moral law. Uh, now, verse 5, now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues supplications day and night. And so the church becomes responsible when that widow has no family members. But if she's got family members, children, grandchildren, it's their responsibility to take care of uh, those who can no longer take care of themselves. And so biblical justice begins with individual responsibility, and then there's the family responsibility, that realm of authority. Parents have authority over their children are to discipline them and provide responsibility and accountability to them. And then when their parents grow old, they have a duty and an obligation and responsibility to provide for them. And then 1 Timothy 5, if, if, if there's a widow or one that's in need that doesn't have family members, well, then she's put on the list of the church. And so the third realm of responsibility is the people of God, the faith community, the community of grace, the faith family. Um, First Timothy 5, those widows who had no family were to be cared for by the church. And we've seen many examples of that. And as we've gone through the book of Acts, the church sharing their resources with those who are in need and those who have no means to provide for themselves. And that was also the expectation during the, the time of the preacher in Ecclesiastes. Uh, the people were very religious in the preacher's day. They went to the temple all the time. They brought their tithes and their offerings. They said lots and lots of prayers. They fasted. They were a very religious people. But Micah, a prophet who comes a little bit after the preacher in Ecclesiastes, if we believe the preacher in Ecclesiastes to be Solomon, Micah later asked the people of God, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And so will the Lord be pleased if I just bring all these offerings and all these, these tithes and make all these sacrifices? Mike says, no. He's shown you, oh man, what is good. What does it require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so it's the people of God's responsibility to do justice, to rightly apply the moral law of God to all of their relationships. And uh, uh, God's people, as we study through the Old Testament, they did not do justly and love mercy. And as a result, they were sent into exile. They had violated their covenant with God because they did not love him and they did not love their neighbor. They did not practice justice. They did not do right and love mercy. And so God gives responsibility and accountability to his church, his people, to do justice and to feed the hungry, to give cool water to the thirsty, to take in the stranger, to clothe the naked, to visit the sick and the imprisoned. And so uh, three realms of authority, individual, the family, the people of God, and then last and least, <laughs> the government, the state, civil authority. And the role of government is very limited. The role of government is to create an environment where we can exercise individual, family, and people of God responsibilities that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in godliness and reverence. The government is given the sword in order to execute wrath on those that do evil and to praise those that do good. Negative justice, punish evildoers. Positive justice, praise those who do good and create an environment where those who do right can live quiet and peaceable lives. You remember what the preacher said, it's better to have one handful with quietness. And the government creates an environment where sinful people can not destroy each other, but uh, live quiet and peaceable lives. And so the government has a very limited realm of authority, but those today who advocate social justice are actually advocating an expansion of civil authority that overrules and encroaches on the other realms of authority that God has given. The individual authority, the authority of the father within the family, and the elders within the church, the, 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 the leaders within the, the, the faith community, those are realms of authority. And, uh, and today, those advocating an expansion of civil authority are advocating and encroaching on those other realms that God has given. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, they, they are advocating for an expanded role of government, seeking a government that will take authority that has not been delegated to it by God. They seek to expand government to perform roles that God has assigned to individuals, to the family, or to his people. They seek for the government to have the power to forcefully redistribute wealth instead of relying on the generosity and graciousness of individuals families and churches individuals families and churches should seek to equitably 
and impartially apply the moral law of God in all of their relationships. And the government should create and protect an environment where there is individual and personal liberty to do right and to do good. And, uh, and, the, and the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us that the government's not good at that. The government is not good at creating that peaceable environment. And so the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, don't be surprised when this government bureaucracy doesn't do well. <laughs> don't be surprised when the government is oppressing, violently perverting justice and righteousness. Don't be surprised because the government isn't good at it because that's not the role of the government. That's individual responsibility and family responsibility and the responsibility of the people of God. And so don't be surprised when the government is lousy at things because um, the ruling officials are also sinful and sinful official is stacked on sinful official and everyone at every layer of the, the bureaucracy is sinful and they're trying to exercise authority that has not been delegated to them by God. They're encroaching on other realms of authority. And so the best that we can hope for from a human king is that, that has all authority is that because of his greed, he will cause the system to produce more that will ultimately fall on others. Uh, verse 9, even the king is served from the field, the profit of the land is for all. So the best we can hope for for a government that has all authority is that because of the king's greed, there's going to be more stuff to be that will fall over on us. <laughs> That's the best we can hope for it with a big government with all authority. And, and you see this in Israel's history. You remember uh, what happened in, uh, in, in 1, Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8 after the period of the judges? What did the people want? They wanted a king. And why did they want a king? Well, because everybody else had one. And they were not practicing individual and family and people of God responsibility. Remember the verse that characterized the time of the judges? In those days there was no king and everybody did what? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So instead of equitably trying to apply God's standard and God's, God's law and God's authority, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Their greed, their arrogance, their sinful nature, they were doing those things and we spiraled deeper and deeper into sin. And so because they weren't taking individual accountability and responsibility, because the families weren't doing what they were supposed to do, people of God weren't doing what they were supposed to do, then, then there was this chaos. There was not a quiet, peaceful environment. And so they said, well, we need to have a king to have all authority over us because these other realms of authority have failed us. What's happening in our society? Are people taking individual accountability and responsibility? Are families, are fathers teaching their children to, to be good and to be right and to, to be peaceable? Are the, is the people, are the people of God uh, applying God's moral law without partiality? And, and so when there's a breakdown in these other realms of authority, and there's chaos, then the people cry out for some authority. And so they wanted a king because they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. They weren't taking their individual responsibility. Everybody was doing what was right in his own eyes, not what was right in God's eyes. They were motivated by their greed and not by doing that which was pleasing to God. And so the, the, the society was spiraling deeper and deeper and deeper into sin, as we've seen in the book of Judges. And so they wanted a king. And you know what God told them? You know what the king's going to do? 
Well, the king's going to take your sons and appoint them over his own chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. So he's going to take your sons and put them in his army or put them in his factories, put them in his fields. If you, if you have a king with all authority, he's going to take your sons not to do stuff for you, but to do stuff for him, before his chariots, his horsemen, his uh, soldiers, his ground, his harvest, his weapons of war, equipment for his chariots. Not only is he going to take your sons and put them in his army, but he's going to take your daughters. And your daughters are going to be perfumers, cooks, bakers. He will take the best of your fields, the best of your vineyards, the best of your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. You want a king? You want to give a king all authority? He's going to take all your stuff. <laughs> He's going to take your stuff. And you will cry out in that day because of the king you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. They weren't taking individual responsibility. Family wasn't taking responsibility. People of God were shirking their responsibility, so they cried out for a king. And the king took all their stuff. <laughs> and did the king lead them into righteousness? No. Nope. They spiraled deeper and deeper until finally the Lord drove them out of the land. They wanted a king, but the king could not save them from their self. They put all their faith in one that would have all authority over them. And they found out the government can't save you. Even David, the king after God's own heart, failed to lead the people in justice and mercy and righteousness. And we see even David's selfishness and greed and murder, and adultery. So biblical justice is the right application of the moral law of God. And God has delegated authority to different realms, different domains. It begins with individual responsibility and accountability. And then there's responsibility and accountability of the family and the people of God. And last and least, the state just to create the environment where God's people where people exercise individual responsibility individual liberty individual accountability can experience quiet and peaceful lives so the government can't save you the king couldn't save them from themselves but from the line of David a king has come In Isaiah 5, the prophet says, Woe to those who add house to house, field to field. But just a few chapters later, in Isaiah 9, the prophet says, 
For to us, a child is born. Unto us, a child is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so how can individuals exercise proper accountability and responsibility and equitable application of the moral law of God by recognizing they can't do it, they failed in turning from their sin and putting their trust in Jesus. How can families do that which is pleasing in their sight? To trust in Jesus and to build their family on and then the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and to trust in the Lord and to seek his justice and judgment. The people of God worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth and working with hands and feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, taking in the stranger, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and in prison. Because ultimately, government can't save. Government's lousy. It's a lousy savior. But God has sent a king that will rule in righteousness and truth. And we find life when we submit ourselves to him. And he is the one who will bring final justice and righteousness. King Jesus. So, when you see injustice, the oppression of the poor, violent perversion of justice and righteousness, don't be surprised. But, turn to King Jesus and take individual responsibility, lead your family, work within the people of God with the power of the Holy Spirit to equitably and impartially apply the moral law of God in all of your relationships. Take individual responsibility and accountability and resist the expansion of authority of the state in realms where God has not given authority to the state. All right, questions? It's a lot from two verses. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And why are they doing that? Because they are exercising authority beyond the realm where God has delegated authority in the state. And why are they doing that? Because at the lower levels, we have failed. We're not taking individual responsibility. Families breaking down. People of God are or not um, 
equitably and impartially applying the law of God. And so because there was, just like in Israel, they were doing what's right in their own eyes, government took authority that didn't belong to them, and they're not good at it. You know, the government's not good at raising your children. The government's not good at taking care of, of uh, the widow. The government's not good at uh, uh, ensuring the equitable, impartial application of the moral law of God. Because it's not its job. Yeah, was it was it was it Benjamin Franklin that said that as soon as people learn they can vote themselves money from the treasury, our republic has come to an end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what has happened? We we figured out we can vote ourselves money from the treasury. And, uh, Exactly. We want to expand the, the power of government to encroach on other domains and individual responsibility and accountability. And, uh, um, and, and so, yes. And, and so, our, you know, our founding fathers, and they, they developed this system of checks and balances, but if one branch is not doing its, its job, delegates its authority to another branch, uh, and, and that's exactly what the abortion debate is. They couldn't. The legislature would not act. The legislature, because the people weren't in favor of it. And so seven people were the only votes that mattered. Because the legislature wouldn't act. And so seven Supreme Court justices acted outside of their realm of authority and made a decree apart from the legislative and the executive branch. And... Uh, um, and, and really, that not just abortion, gay marriage happened exactly the same way. It wasn't a vote of the people. It wasn't through the legislature. It was through, you know, five Supreme Court justices. Um, and so when one branch doesn't fulfill its responsibility, then the result is oppression and a perversion of justice because the founding fathers developed a system of individual accountability and, and even John Adams said that you know the, the system that we have we have developed can only govern a moral people people who govern themselves by the law of God and when we got away from that then we've got like Israel we, we've got the government we deserve <laughs> because we we have failed at our level and so the government is taking taking authority and power Yeah, that's that's the bottom line. You know, it, it's it's um, it, 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 that's right. The the Supreme Court only considered there's two humans involved in every abortion, and the Supreme Court only considered the rights 
of one of the humans involved. And we have, uh, we, exactly, it, yeah. And, and so, th Right, well, I think the preacher in Ecclesiastes, once again, was very, very timely <laughs> and addressed the subject that uh, uh, very, uh, very applicable to the situation in which we, we find ourselves. So, ma'am? Uh, exactly right, yeah. yeah. Well, let's pray together. Lord God, we, uh, we stand before you, and Lord, we, we confess that... Uh, Sometimes we're all too willing to, uh, to yield the responsibility and accountability that you've entrusted to each of us as individuals and as parents and as members of your church. And, and Lord, sometimes we're, we're content. Just let the state take care of things that you uh, delegated to us. And Lord, so often we... Instead of seeking to do what's right in your eyes and apply your law, we do what's right in our own eyes. And we're motivated by greed, pursuit of pleasure or avoidance of pain, or just taking the easy route and avoid individual accountability and responsibility. And so, Lord, we repent and ask your forgiveness. And Lord, we pray that you help us in the realms that you've delegated to us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Lord, help us to, uh, to be good citizens and to uh, inform ourselves of the issues and, and Lord, to uh, take the responsibility that's been delegated to us as American citizens to, uh, uh, to to speak your moral law to those who represent us and make laws over us. And Lord, we pray also that we would not trust in government to be our Savior, but that we would find help and hope in Jesus, King Jesus, the only King who will do righteousness and justice forever. So thank you for sending him. Thank you for his sinless life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his present ministry to us and with us in the person of the Holy Spirit and, Lord, the promise of his coming to establish righteousness and justice once and for all. And so we thank you for King Jesus, and may he help us as we live our lives in enemy territory. May we do that which is pleasing to your sight. May we exercise our responsibility and accountability to equally and impartially apply your law in all of our relationships. And it is in Jesus' name we pray.